You know, last week we started a brand new series called Mixtape, talking about the soundtrack of life, and we referenced the fact that that piece of technology right there that some of you are unfamiliar with is called a cassette tape, and uh, you actually did, if it ever got, it had tape in it. Uh, excuse me today if I sound like I'm, I've swallowed a frog because I feel like I've swallowed a frog, but um, if at any point I get choked up, I'll just have you turn and talk amongst yourselves, but uh, you know, if you had a tape, and I referenced this a little bit last week, but you actually did have a piece of tape in the cassette, and every now and then it would get twisted, and like it could be pulled out of the tape, and the only way to fix that was to take like an hour of your life and roll it back up with a pencil or a pen, or like I said, your finger until it like rubbed all the skin off, um, but that's, that's really how it did it. And a mixtape, what we talked about last week, is where you took the time to catalog for, some, for you or someone else, like your favorite songs. Like you would take songs from a bunch of different albums and put them onto one tape, you know, kind of picking and choosing the songs that you like, or even listening to the radio and waiting until your favorite song came on and hitting the three or four buttons that you were required on your cassette player there, recorder, to record from the radio what you were trying to, to capture there in that song. But even making mixtapes for yourself, while that was a lot of fun, making a mixtape for someone else was, was really where it was at. Um, how many of you, if you would be honest, maybe it wasn't even through this kind of technology, because I know some of the younger folks in the room, you, you made like playlists on CDs, or you've like sent an album to a friend through iTunes, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean quite as much, because all you're doing is clicking the mouse or clicking the touchpad or doing something on your phone. You didn't take the agonizing time to make it. But how many of you would be honest this morning and raise your hand and say that at some point in your past, you have made some semblance of a mixtape, a playlist, a CD, or something like that for someone else of the opposite sex that you maybe had some little, you know, kind of feelings for? Anybody? Anybody want to be honest? I expected more hands than that, actually. Um, if you didn't raise your hand, you were missing out. You're really missing out because it was, it was a powerful statement of the love that you were declaring for someone when you would say to them, here are the songs that make me think of you. Now, hopefully you chose songs that made you think of them or, you know, I, I know like if, if I gave a mixtape to someone hypothetically and it accidentally had on the other side of the tape some other songs that weren't for that same purpose, it might breed confusion in the future of that relationship, and they may never talk to you again, hypothetically. But if you made a tape and you said, hey, these are the songs that make me think of you, like that's a powerful statement. The kinds of songs that would be on a mixtape like that would be those romantic love songs. We love love songs, don't we? Like, there's an entire... Uh, genre of music that's kind of captured in love songs, in songs that declare the emotional affection and attention that we have towards someone else. I just did a, just a, a random Google search of just the top love songs. And you may have a song, like maybe if you're married or you're in a dating relationship, you have a song. Like you have something that as soon as it comes on, you are instantly taken back to a first date. 
You're instantly taken back to your wedding day, your first dance. You're instantly taken back to, you know, the long car ride where you had to travel together for this. And it was like the song, it was like the theme, the soundtrack of that trip. Here are some just random songs that are usually at the top of the list, according to Google and all these different websites I went to. Here's just a few. The Power of Love by Celine Dion. Woo! That girl can sing, right? I mean, she's powerful and she sings The Power of Love. Okay. Stevie Wonder, not quite the same look as Celine Dion, but he sings a song called, I Just Called to Say I Love You. And we're talking about love songs, so he just called to say he loves you. That's pretty powerful. The greatest love song of all on most of the charts that I looked at was a song aptly titled, The Greatest Love of All by Miss Whitney Houston. Anybody ever heard that song? It's powerful. It's a good one. It's a good, if you made a mixtape, you would probably have The Power of Love, and I just called to say I love you, greatest love of all. But the number one love song of all time, just about every website I went to that didn't have the Whitney Houston song had this song, and I did some further research, and I went and found the official list which is actually just what my wife told me was the greatest love song of all time. And here is the number one love song of all time. Anybody want to guess? Call it out. No guesses. Okay, great, great, great. Appreciate all your enthusiasm today. (laughs) The number one love song of all time is by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, Endless Love. Endless Love. When I hear the song Endless Love, you know what I think? Couples skate. I just think (laughs) holding hands... I just think, like, I don't know, it takes me back to middle school, and we were at the skating rink, because that's what you did when I was in middle school, and we would skate, like, I didn't skate well, I I really, I would come off of the skating rink onto the carpet and, like, tear my MCL, I don't know if you ever did that, but you kind of take that half step up anyway, Uh, so, yeah, I just think when I hear that song, like, we're skating around the, the skating rink, holding hands as seventh graders, hearing this song, Endless Love... And we have no idea what it means. No clue what endless love means as a seventh grader. We had three different girlfriends at the same skate party. Like we, we got together, broke up, got together with somebody else, broke up, and got together before they ever served pizza at the birthday party. So this idea of endless love probably didn't mean as much to us. But love songs take all kinds of different forms. I know there was a country song a few years ago that talked about actually playing the songs backwards to actually get the better story where you got all your stuff back and you got back together with the girl. And, you know, but love songs can take a whole different, uh, a bunch of different forms because love songs can declare just a general attitude of love for someone They can talk about this hypothetical figure of love and affection that we're pointing towards, or they can just very specifically describe this individual that you love, or it can describe something about that individual. They take on a lot of different forms. And then when we come into a service like this, uh, Crystal, who opened our service today, for those that were here when we first started, she talked about that we were going to continue this series today called Mixtape and talk about love songs, and she referenced the fact that we were about to worship, and we were going to sing some love songs to God. And so when we come into a room like this, and then we hear that kind of language, and we think, okay, what, is, what does that mean, and how does that connect? And maybe I think I understand what that means, but 
where is that in my vocabulary? Because the, the kind of love songs that some of us like, we wouldn't sing to God, not pointing any fingers at any of you. But this month, we're kind of continuing in this series of the book of Psalms where we're looking at uh, this, this 150-chapter book in the Old Testament. It was written by at least eight different people over at least a 1,000 years. And this book of the Psalms is really a praise book. And praise is just you know, declaring something good about someone else or something else. You can praise a lot of things, but it's kind of declaring the goodness, declaring the things that you see that are worthy of praise about someone or something else. I can praise my kids, you know, that they did a good job cleaning their room or they did a good job on their, in their schoolwork. I can praise my wife. I can praise friends. I can praise our volunteers, which on a, a random Sunday at 930 when we gather together, we do. We, we kind of praise them for their efforts to create the environments that we, we are a part of on a Sunday morning because we can praise anything, really, just to declare the goodness or the good works or the things that someone has accomplished. But when we talk about God... The Psalms are a great place to start because there are 150 chapters to choose from where these various writers, David wrote the bulk of these, but David and other writers are declaring the goodness of God even in the midst of the other emotions that they are experiencing. If you read through Psalms, I mean, if you were just to start at Psalm 1 and you were to run all the way through Psalm 150, you would see this incredible roller coaster of emotions. It really mimics the, the emotions that you and I deal with on any given day or any given week, any given month, because these are human beings that are kind of sharing the emotions that they're experiencing in life. And so while the rest of Scripture is really God's word to us through the various writers of Scripture, the Psalms are also, they are God's word to us, but they are also our words back to God. They are human emotion, human words back to God. And so we are given this incredible tool in the book of Psalms when we read the emotions that people are experiencing. And praise is a huge part of that because actually the book is not called Psalms. It's actually called a praise book. And when you take it back all the way to the original language, the title there is praise book or some variation of that. There's really two kinds of praises in Psalms. The first kind of praise there is a declarative praise. Think about if you're, you, you do have a significant other. If I were to say to my wife, I love you, I'm just declaring my general love for my wife. She wants to hear that. That's good. I need to do that. And there's a lot of psalms that are very similar. They're declarative praises. They just declare the writer that I love God or God is worthy or I am excited about something that God is and his nature. Then there's a second kind of praise, and it is the descriptive praise. It's not just saying to my wife, I love you. It's saying, I love this about you. This is something specific that I love about you. There's something very specific that I really want you to know that I admire, that I find praiseworthy in you. And just an aside, I don't know if every wife or significant other is the same as my wife. My wife loves when I do both. My wife doesn't just love it when I declare my love for her. She also loves it when I also am descriptive about the love that I have for you, for her, not for you. I mean, I love you too, but I love her more. Um, she's not here today, so I can say these things. Um, and I expected a lot of amens from women right there. I don't know. I just kind of expected that to come out. And still, you're quiet. It's okay. I've got more energy than you do today, evidently. But she likes when I do both. And I think, too, that God does. 
I don't want to put things on God here, but I think when we read the Psalms, we see the way that God is interacting with other human beings, and we see the way that other human beings are interacting with God. When we read through the other parts of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see these conversations, interactions that they're having. And I think to declare our love for God is something really powerful that we need to do. But I think it's good from time to time to be descriptive with our love for God. Not just to say, God, I love you, but to say, God, I love that you love me. I love that you are powerful. I love that you're strong. I love that you forgave me. I love that you are merciful to me. I love this about you, God. I love that you gave me the Bible so that I could read stories. I I think God would desire for us to be descriptive and not just declarative in our love. And I think when we read through the Psalms, we see that in the praise Psalms that are given here throughout the 150 Psalms that we have. One of the most well-known, famous praise Psalms is Psalm 150. It's the very last one. If you're reading through the Psalms, you get to the very last one. And this is the ending of this entire book. Psalm 150 is a praise psalm. If you got a Bible, you got an app, you want to flip there to Psalm 150. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. I just want us to read this. This is what Psalm 150 says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and the dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't know if you caught the theme of Psalm 150... But in general, it's praise, okay? And this is a praise psalm that is really declarative and descriptive because it's not necessarily just describing the nature of God. It's describing some things about God and his place, and it's describing ways that we can praise. But it's just declaring some praises to God and instructing us to praise God and how we can do that. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. It's saying when we gather together, praise him here and praise him throughout the earth. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to clang the cymbals, which we've done a little bit this morning. And we're going to make noise and with instruments and with our voice. And we're going to do all that. And then we get to that last part of this psalm. And it says this. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everybody take a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in. We have mints on the way out for you. I'm just kidding. You knew that was coming, right? That was an ugly preacher joke. Um, There's no wiggle room there. According to this psalm, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It, It doesn't say some. It doesn't say, you know, those that are believers. It says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Every living being, every living creature, everything that can breathe in and breathe out, the breath that God has given to this earth, the breath that we have, 
everything that has breath should be praising the Lord, should be ascribing to God the goodness of who he is. There is no wiggle room here. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord is the translation that I first read when I was a little boy. So more specifically, if everything is supposed to give praise, everything that has breath, how are we supposed to give praise? Who's supposed to give praise? In what manner? So let's turn back just a few a few psalms before this, Psalm 145. So if you, were, if you were with me in Psalm 150, flip back to Psalm 145. Or if you've got an app, you just tap, I think, at the top and choose a different chapter. Psalm 145, and this is where we'll spend kind of the remaining part of the next few minutes of our time together. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 7 and then 10 through 13 before we wrap this up. This is what it says in Psalm 145. I will exalt you. It's talking about lifting you high. I will lift you high, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name. Just declare your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. No one can understand. No one can grasp. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your good deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. So everyone that has breath should praise, and according to this, should praise forever and ever. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And then according to Psalm 145, I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and lift up your name. And then it goes through and talks about the mighty acts and the things that will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate. I will think on and allow your wonderful works to kind of get into my heart and, and, and just really kind of challenge me and, 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 and grow me towards giving you more glory and helping me to see how big and how great you are. All of your works, not just those that are living and breathing, but everything that you have created will praise you, according to the writer here, who is David, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. One of my favorite parts of this passage is where it says, one generation commends your works to another. One generation commends your works to another. I think sometimes if we're not careful, we assume that praise and the songs that we sing are just about us or just about God, right? And maybe I'm not describing it the way that you would think because maybe some of you would go, no, I don't, I don't believe that. I understand that there's more at play there. But when I'm worshiping sometimes, like when I was standing down here, just in the moment of musical worship in our service, sometimes I'm very caught up in that moment just myself. And I'm standing there and I'm hearing the music and I'm seeing the words up on the screen, and I'm listening to, to Sean or to Devin or some of the other worship leaders as they kind of instruct us or give us instruction about how we should sing or worship or something else. 
And in that moment, I'm usually just kind of focused on me and God. I'm focusing on my response to that moment, my response to God, how I'm feeling and what I should do in response to that feeling, what I should do in response to the words that I'm seeing or hearing or the way that it makes me feel or the things that I realize about myself or about the nature of God because of this moment. But the writer here, David, in Psalm 145 helps me to see that praise is not just about moments like that. That I can actually praise God every single day, all day long, in a variety of different ways. I can actually be praising God by telling stories. He He says, when we were talking here, he says, listen, I can tell of your mighty works. I can praise God by being reflective. Right? I can be sitting by myself in my house, in my car, at my desk. And I can be meditating on the wonderful works of God, the goodness of God towards me. And in that moment, I am actually praising God because I'm meditating on God. I can be telling stories. I can can sing. And I know in a room like this, anytime we gather, there's a lot of different expressions of worship or praise. And we see people that, man, their hands are lifted and they're kind of singing and they're going for it, man. And some of us, that's a little new to us and we may not have ever experienced that or know what that's about, or we may not be comfortable with that. And so, you know, we're just standing there kind of quietly or we're standing there singing. And there should never be a place where you feel pressured to do that. All the people that are lifting their hands or singing or kind of look like they're maybe they're going for it, they're just worshiping out of their heart and they're worshiping in a way that they have become comfortable with or familiar with. And that may not be something you're familiar with, but our hope is that as you're involved in these moments, that you feel the freedom to express your love towards God in whatever ways that God has uniquely gifted you or moved you or is natural to an expression of love back to God, right? And so as we're in these moments, we would say to God, you know, God, I'm, I'm, I don't feel good. About, I'm just going to kind of go here, right? Right? I'm just, you know, what? I, I mean, like, I don't know what your response needs to be. I don't know how you want to worship God. Maybe it's not that you ever lift your hands and so you just... You know, you've been standing with us for a while. You know, a couple weeks, a couple months, and oh, I remember this song. They sang it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing it. And you're just, your mouth opens. Nobody can hear you because you're just whispering. But that's praise for you. That's worship for you because it's your heart engaging in a response to the love of God in a moment of corporate worship. But it doesn't have to be corporate. It can be. Very, very personal, individual moments by yourself. Like I said, in your car. Some of my best praise moments are in my car by myself. And there are tons and tons of people on 575 that can attribute to the fact that I'm the crazy guy just driving up and down the road talking to myself. Right? I'm just driving, singing. Oh, man, I'm just just driving along, singing, and just declaring the goodness of God. And that's me. I'm that guy. I'm sitting at red lights and people are looking at me like I am insane. That's okay because I'm praising. Sometimes I'm actually praying in my car out loud so I can hear myself talking about the things that I'm asking God to do for me. Maybe you're not comfortable with that. Maybe you don't ever want to be caught sitting at a red light and you look over and you're just just going at it, man, singing that song that Sean sang last Sunday and it's on the radio and you're going to town and you look over and they're just staring at you like, what the heck are you doing? And you want to roll the window down and be like, come to my church, they sing this, right? 
But you can praise a lot of ways. It doesn't just have to be in moments like this. Let me, let me jump back into our love song metaphor for a moment. My wife's not here, so it's really easy to say stuff like this, okay? I have to change up the way that I declare my love for my wife. I can't just say it the same old way I've been saying it this, this length of time we've been together, right? I can't just do the same old thing like, and maybe, maybe this is not the case for everybody, but if I always bring flowers home on Thursday, eventually that just becomes the expected thing I'm going to do on Thursday. It doesn't mean she doesn't appreciate it, but it means it's just kind of a routine or a rhythm, and she may come to think at some point that it's now just routine and it doesn't mean as much as it did the very first time that I stopped on my way home to bring flowers home. Or if I just got her a card, wrote her a card. Man, cards mean a lot to girls. Right? I got an amen on that one. Cards don't mean as much to guys. It seems. I got an amen on that one too. Like a guy gets a card and they kind of scan it and they just look at it long enough to let everybody in the room think that they've read it. They're like, okay, there's about 50 words on this front of this card. So I'm just going to, that's 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000. They open it up. Nope, no money there. Oh, the little head nod like, oh, yep, I see that you signed it there at the bottom. That's so sweet. That's so, you have no idea what it said. Congratulations on your bar mitzvah. I mean, you don't even know. But you give a card to a girl. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. you got me a card, right? I mean, like, there's something. But if, if I do that for my wife, like, if it's a random thing, right, it means a lot to her. If I just say, love you, every time I'm just walking out the door, that's just one expression. I'm declaring love for her. But every now and then, i got to mix it up, right? I've got to add something descriptive. I've got to help her see that there's something special that I love about her, something that catches my attention, something that I want her to know that I have noticed. And so I want to keep something maybe in the back of my mind that I can recall to memory later and remind her that you remember when you wore that dress a couple Thursdays ago? And she's like, you remember what I wore a couple Thursdays ago? And I'm like, yes, right? And now for her, there's something special that I have remembered and This love that I'm declaring for her and this love, this very specific, I loved that outfit you wore when we went to that wedding that time. I mean, you can be that vague, right? As long as you've got the right outfit, the right person, and the right general relationship that you're a part of now, hypothetically, right? Because I've got to vary it up a little bit. And and here's the thing. I I don't want to say, like, i got to treat God the same way I'm treating Corey in any way. I'm not trying to to bring God down to a human level. I'm not trying to raise, you know, Corey up to some kind of deity or anything like that. But there is this idea, according to Ephesians 5, and this is what we talk about a lot, that, man, the, the human marriage relationship is a depiction of Christ in the church. There's, there's something representative in that form and in that relationship. And so I don't think it's too much to draw on that. And so if you're not married, that's okay, right? It's not a bad thing at all. This is just what I draw from today. But If you've got parents and you want to declare your love for them, or you've got kids, or you've got grandkids, or you've got a best friend, or there's something else, like 
it means something to vary up the words and the vocabulary that we use to declare and to describe the love that we have. And so when I'm describing my love, proclaiming my love to God, I need to do that in a declarative way, in a descriptive way, varying it up, using different words, doing it different ways, doing it different times, not just when I gather together here on a Sunday. Scripture said one generation commends your mighty works to another. One generation. My praise is about more than me. It's also about those who are coming after me. Scripture is all about generations. And you read through the Old Testament, you see all these examples of being told who somebody's father was or somebody's grandfather was or how many years they lived before they had kids because they're telling you the the, the line of people that were to come. And you, you read these stories about, you know, something that amazing that happened and they would build an altar there so that they could come back and revisit it so that when their children ask, they could say, this is the place that God delivered us. The New Testament opens by telling us the lineage of Jesus Christ, the generations that came before Jesus arrived on the earth. It is the story of God because it is about more than one generation of people. It's about multiple generations, thousands of years, families and stories and people interlock together to pass on this incredible heritage of the faith and the stories. That's really how scripture was even compiled. These audible stories were captured at some point along the way. They had been passed down among family members, among people of faith, among communities. And at some point when they began to be able to record and capture, they would write those things down. And they would put those things into a written form so that they could be collected and cataloged. And those things were eventually compiled and through the work of the Holy Spirit compiled in a way that you and I now have access to the stories of the people of God generations and generations and generations ago. The Christian faith is meant to be about more than one generation. It's meant to be about multiple generations. And Psalm 145 says that one generation commends His mighty works to another. Commends just means to kind of lift it up, to tell the story, to pass on, to entrust to someone something for care or preservation. So it's not just saying, like, I'm going to tell you a story. It's saying, I'm going to tell you something that's valuable to me so that you can care for it and preserve it and make sure that it makes it beyond my lifespan. It makes it beyond my time here on earth. I'm going to give you something that I want to be a treasure to future generations. It's like an heirloom in your family, potentially. I'm entrusting it to you. I'm commending it to you. And Scripture tells us that one generation must commend the mighty works to another generation. Let me give you a couple of Scriptures here very quickly. They will be up on the screen. You don't have to flip there. You can record these if you want to. These are just a few examples of what I'm talking about. Exodus 13, verse 14 says this, And in the future your children will ask you, What does all this mean? And then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. The children will ask you in the future, what does it all mean? And you can tell them. Deuteronomy 32 and 7 said, remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past and ask your fathers and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. These are just two examples of dozens, maybe even hundreds, especially in the Old Testament that reference the role that each generation has to another. There is a role that each generation has. 
the first, that first verse that we read there in Exodus says that it's the responsibility of that older generation to say, when they are asked, this is what it means. I have to tell those that are coming after me about the things that I'm aware of that happened before they arrived on the scene. But to the younger generation, we're not exempt. It's our responsibility to ask. We read there in Deuteronomy, it was even referenced in Exodus 13. It says, listen, remember the days of old. Ask your father, inquire of your elders. I'll go to marriage for a second and I'll come somewhere else in just a minute. But I mean, I've said before, Corey and I, we've been married almost 11 years And we are looking for examples of couples who have been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years because we want to look to you and see how do you make it that long? How do you stay married in ways that honor one another and you love one another and you seem to have fun and you cherish one another? We're looking to people who are raising kids or have raised kids who are older than our grade school age kids to say, man, we look to you and you raised good kids. It wasn't perfect. They made mistakes, I'm sure. But we see that you raised them in a way that they honored God. They loved God. And we want to model after that. We're asking you, how did you do that? What, did you, what do you think was the success for you? People in business. We want to we look to those that are maybe a little bit ahead of us on the corporate ladder or in our field of endeavor, and we go, how did you get to where you're at? If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently so that I maybe avoid some of the mistakes that you made or I'd do some things differently than you would have done those things? Even in the Christian walk, I think sometimes we're afraid to ask people for help. We need to look to others who are a little bit ahead of us in a relationship with Jesus Christ and go, listen, if you were me, like what would you do? What's the next thing that I need to really trust God for? I need to be in relationship in a way that you can speak into my life. Tell me some of the stories that will grow my faith. Tell me some of the things that will help me to understand the goodness of God beyond just the limited scope that I have, the things that God has even done in my life. My grandmother is a God-fearing woman, and she gave to her entire family several Christmases ago a book. And and she gave it to all of her kids and all of her grandkids and all of her great-grandkids. And she gave us this little bound book, and it's just the stories of God at work in her life. Some of them are incredible. They're, They're miraculous. Some of them are you would describe as very ordinary, but she wanted to catalog as many things as she could for those who were coming after her so that they would know that God was good to her and that God could be trusted with the things that they wanted to pray to him about. And I've read through that book. I have it with me at my house. And when Corey and I are praying about a specific need that maybe is beyond a little bit the scope of what we've seen God do in us, I can pull out that book and go, you know, but you did it, God, for my grandmother. You did it for my mom and dad. You did it for those who were a part of the Christian faith before I even was born. One generation commends his mighty works to another. My praise must be passed on. I can't just stand in this moment and lift my hands and sing a song, and when the song is over, my praise is over. I have to make sure that my praise is passed on. That's why it's important for you to be in church. That's why it's important for you to, you know, model for your kids, even in your home, what it means to be a Christ follower. If if your kids only see you reading the Bible in this room, if your kids only see you worshiping in this room or others like it, 
If your kids only hear you talking about things of God or things of faith on or going from church, on your way to or coming from church, what does that say to them about the importance of a relationship with God? What does that say to them about the way that they can divide their lives into a secular and sacred walk? That there's only a portion of our week that we give to God and everything else is ours and we never speak of him again, right? What does it say to them if we say, no, I, we're just not going to go today. We're just not going to, it's not going to be a priority for us. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm just talking about we've got a model for our kids what it looks like to really walk with Jesus Christ. One generation commends his mighty works to another. And if that does not happen, I fear we could find ourselves like those in Judges chapter 2. One of the saddest passages in all of Scripture, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After a while, the people of Joshua's generation died, and the next generation did not know the Lord or any of the things that he had done for Israel. The Lord had brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they had worshipped him. But now the Israelites stopped worshipping the Lord and worshipped the idols of Baal. Do you remember what we read in Exodus 13 just a minute ago? We read, it says, in the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Then you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. Now, just two generations removed from that, there came a generation who did not know the Lord or any of the things that he had done for Israel. The Lord had brought their ancestors out of Egypt, which was referenced, and they had worshipped him, but now the Israelites stopped worshiping. They stopped praising the Lord, and instead they worshiped. They praised other idols, powerless gods of Baal. I, I can't say it for sure because I wasn't there, but I assume that one of two things happened, and maybe both. The younger generation quit asking questions, and the older generation quit telling stories. The younger generation just quit asking questions. What does that altar mean? Why are there just a bunch of rocks piled up? They, they quit asking the question, like, what, how did we even get here to the promised land? Like, if I, if I wasn't born here, and you, or, or you weren't born here, how, how did we get here? Like, tell me the story of how we got across the river. Tell me the story of how Grandpa Moses took his rod and he just, man, he slammed it into the river and the waters were rolled back and we walked across on dry land and Pharaoh's army was chasing after, man, they were gobbled up in the water. Tell me that story again, Dad. Tell me, tell me that story again, Grandpa. And I think just the younger generation just quit asking questions. But sometimes they may not have even known what questions to ask because they didn't even know the stories that had happened back there. Because I think maybe the older generation just quit telling stories. There was never a moment where they were sitting around the, the dinner fire or the dinner table. There was never a moment when they were driving, you know, their chariot or their Hyundai or whatever from point A to point B. And instead of playing, you know, the, the license plate game, they said, hey, Let's take a minute. Let me tell you a story that my grandmother told me. 
about how good God was to her. Let me tell you something I saw one time when I was a little kid when I was in church. Let me tell you about the day that I got saved. Let me tell you about this time that your mom and I were praying for God to do something and we needed really God to come through and we didn't know how it was going to happen and and God showed up. Let, let me tell you that story. Even if you don't have kids, let me, let me tell you, younger generation that's in my sphere of influence, let me, let me impart to you something that I've experienced. I want to I wanna be a, a children's worker at my church. I want to be a youth leader at my church. I want to be a small group leader and impart the knowledge that I had. I want to volunteer in a local school. I want to give back to my community. I want to just invest in the next generation in a way that says what God has given to me, I am to commend to the next generation. I think the younger generation quit asking questions and the older generation just quit telling stories. And my fear is if we're not careful, then we could repeat that cycle. Because for a lot of us, we don't realize that our praise, that's me, that's me. It's still me, it's still me, it's still me. Hold on, I'm coming. Our praise must be passed on. We don't realize that our praise is about more than a praise song. We don't realize that our praise is about more than a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus and a bridge and a tag and a chorus again. And when I was growing up in church, it was more than the choir, like key changing two or three times. And that's when the spirit fell. I got an amen over here from somebody that knows what I'm talking about. Some of you are like a choir. What's that? Key change. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like the power fell when the choir changed, you know, changed keys a couple times. Because we have made like this formula of praise. And I think if we're not careful, we limit our praise to a moment. I think the writers of Psalm would say, no. Your praise should be everything that has breath. Praise ye the Lord. I will declare the goodness of your name forever and ever, every day of my life. One generation commends to another generation. Your dominion will reign forever and ever and ever. I will meditate on your mighty works. I will extol your name. I will exalt you the most high. God, my praise cannot be contained in a song. It can't be contained in a moment. It must become who I am. If I only tell my wife I love her on Valentine's Day, she's not going to believe me. If I only tell her I love her on her birthday, if I only tell her I love her on date night, I think she's going to start to question. There needs to be a part of my vocabulary that is constantly expressing the love and affection that I have for my wife. And I think God is the same way that my vocabulary must declare who he is. Jesus gave us this incredible tool to be able to do so, this incredible reminder to do so. Towards the end of his life, he brought those that were closest to him together, right before he went to the cross, for something that's called the Last Supper. We're going to take part in that today. I'm going to ask our host to come on and just be standing in the aisles just for a moment as I kind of give some instruction here. First Corinthians really retells those stories, but it's, it's found in the Gospels. 
where Jesus gathers those closest to him together and he says, listen, we're going to take the bread and we're going to break it and we're going to take the cup and we're going to drink it. And he says, this represents something beyond this moment, right? He says, the bread is my body and the cup represents my blood. And this may be new for some of you and that's okay. You're not exempt from being able to take this this morning. This is not a believer's communion. Anybody can partake in this, but let me just help you understand what you're saying. You take this little cracker wafer that we have here. This is saying this is representative of the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this cup of juice is representative of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. When he hung on the cross, he came to earth, he lived, and he died once for all time for the sacrifice of the sins of mankind. He hung on the cross, and on the cross, his body was separated from his blood. His blood ran out of him. That life source left his body, and his body was left hanging there. It was broken. There was a spear in his side. He had been whipped. There was a crown of thorns on his head. And today, as we partake in this, we take these elements back into ourselves. And we say, today, I'm going to unite the bread and the juice, the body and the blood, the vessel and the life inside of me. And so if you're comfortable to do that today, in a minute, they're going to pass these elements and you can do that. But there was something really interesting that Jesus said, and I just have never read this until I was preparing this week. And I'm not just saying that, I promise. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, when he's giving instruction to the church in Corinth, he's telling them that they've been doing communion wrong. And he said, what I received from God, I'm now saying to you And here's the story. When Jesus got them together, here's what he did. Here's what he said. And this is what he says. As often as you take the bread and the cup, do so in remembrance of me. Now, I've said that from this stage. You've heard that. You've read that, many of you. But think about this. Jesus wanted them to do what he was doing with them in that moment. He wanted them to reenact it. And not just that, he wanted them to retell the story. What Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians is he was helping to tell the story to a group of people that were a little misguided about what that moment was actually about. I don't want to stretch it too far, but I think it was one generation commending to another. I think it was one man saying to another group of new believers, listen, let's make sure when you do this, you know why you're doing it. That's what we always want to do here. We always want to try to help you understand what you're doing. It's not just form and function. We don't want you to just jump in and start doing it because then it just becomes ritual. But if it is an overflow of the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, then it's me responding in a very natural way to God. And so today when you take these elements, you want to hold them in your hand. And I want you to look at that little cracker, that little piece of bread. And I want you to think this is representative of the body of Jesus Christ. It was broken for me. Scripture says that I can be healed because his body was broken. And when I'm looking at this cup, I'm looking at the juice. I I understand this is the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the actual element from the body of Jesus Christ that flowed out of him. But it it is for me the saving grace. It covers my sins and washes me white as snow. I want you to hold those things and I want you to reflect I want you to remember some stories. I want you to remember who you used to be before the saving work of Jesus Christ, perhaps. I want you to think about when you used to be sick, but now you're whole because of the healing virtue that flowed from Jesus' body. I want you to hold that, and I want you to remember those stories. 
We're going to come back and we're going to take those elements together. So hold them in your hand. And then we'll talk about what we need to do after that. God, we thank you so much for today. Bless this moment. Bless these elements as we hold them in our hands. Let us remember you and the sacrifice that you have made for us. In Jesus' name we pray.